What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey everyone and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says there's a light in the darkness of everybody's life. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we wanted to talk a bit about... Uh, Tractor beams, as it turns out. Tractor beams. Yeah, tractor beams, you so, know. So we're talking about science fiction today. No, 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 no. That'll be a later podcast. Right now we're talking about science fact. Science fact. Factual what? tractor beams. Yeah, tractor beams are a real thing. Yeah, using... Fact, uh, like F-A-K-T, fact. <laughs> exactly like F-A-K-T. So you're, you you're telling the me... They're telling, you're telling me they're real tractor beams I, you in know, the world. It's amazing to me that you don't know this because you wrote the script for that particular episode and I've already recorded it. But yes, there are. Do you just not believe your own research? We're playing a little fantasy oh, game here, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, okay, lo- I yes. missed out. What tractor beams... Well... I'll admit that even though I did write a script about it, it's still blowing my mind. Well, you know what? It blows my mind, too, because you're sitting there talking about a phenomena that is 
incredibly counterintuitive. Right, right. Well, I mean, you know, when when we see it in Star Trek, it looks like this beam of light is pulling something towards it. And how does how does that work? Because yeah. light pushes on stuff. Right. And well, we actually are talking about light. I don't want to nerd out on you, but in Star in wait, did you say Star Trek or Star I Wars? Said Star, Star Trek. Trek. Oh, then you're right. You're totally right. You're <laughs> totally right. I'm so sorry. I thought you said Star Wars, and I was going to be. You're, you don't see anything. Okay. You just feel it. You're just being pulled in. Right? They well, got us locked you know, in. That's true. Yeah, they got us locked in on the tractor okay. beam. You don't but see anything we, until Obi-Wan is right there over at the tractor beam controls that are right, conveniently right. located next to the oh, enormous that, pit. Th- that big beam going up and down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I uh, we'll save that for the next podcast, sure, all yes. the sci-fi stuff. Let's stick with but science just, fact. Just let it be known, okay, for the like one person in the world who doesn't know what a tractor beam from science fiction is, it's a force that pulls you toward it. Right, right. So – in science fiction, it's often used for a ship to be guided into the docking bay of some other vessel or spaceport, or it's some way of capturing another uh, uh, object uh, peacefully without blowing it to smithereens and yeah. kind of grabbing it, taking it with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like a non or like a like a beam winch. You know? Right, right. Yeah. If you don't want the equivalent of having to fire out grappling hooks from the side of your spaceship. So that you can pull some other spaceship in so you can board it and, and be space pirates. Then you need some sort of electronic, uh, uh, electromagnetic version of that. And, and tractor beams tends to be the go-to, uh, magical thing that we talk about to have this happen. And it, as it turns out, we actually have developed a type of tractor beam, a couple of different types of tractor beams, but they're on a very small scale and they use light. Astonishing. Yeah. They use light. They use light. So, so you're, they, you, you're, they can shine light and pull something toward the light source. Which is incredibly counterintuitive. Like you yeah. were saying, Lauren, I mean, the light is something that pushes. Right. It has momentum. It behaves as both a particle and a wave. Yeah. It's I got, mean, even that's not totally intuitive, right? We should stop and some people might be going, wait a minute, what? Light? Pushes? Yeah, it does. It does. It does have momentum. It has a a relativistic mass, uh, which mostly means that it has a mass that works out in math, uh, if not in uh, what we would consider real-life situations. But it does have momentum. It can press against something. Yeah, you'd call this – the term is radiation pressure. Yeah. yeah. So you – if you imagine the sun, it's got rays coming out of it in all directions. It's also got solar wind. So you can understand why solar wind would push because that's massive particles. Right, right. right. So that's little – Blasting particles out into space. Mm -hmm. So if you have something like a solar sail, which is a spaceship that's designed to ride the force of the sun outward from the solar system, that's taking some of the force from that solar wind, those massive particles coming out. But some of the force pushing it is just old. It's it's light. Yeah, it's photons. It's just photons pressing against that solar sail. And because you're not dealing with uh, gravity in any in any appreciable sense, mm-hmm. once you get out uh, into uh, interplanetary space, as long as you're not getting too close to any particular uh, large body, then you can use that to accelerate your spacecraft and and travel and use that as a propulsion force. In fact, that's one of the ones that. Uh, that scientists have proposed as a potential propulsion force once we're building spacecraft in space. Mm-hmm. In fact, you don't even have to look at a hypothetical spacecraft to see the force of radiation pressure in our solar system, right? right. You uh, you can look at like a comet. Oh, right. Uh, comets' tails always point away from the sun. Mm-hmm. 
Yep, yep, that ion ta- tail is always going to be pointing away, and that's because of this this pressure that we're talking about. So that's Kepler discovered that, by the way, which uh, which comes up a lot in a lot of these articles. Oh nice. yes, yeah. yeah. Kepler was a a smart cat, let me tell you. So we're getting into <laughs> not everyone. I think he was a smart human being, but yeah. Well, Schrodinger had a smart cat. Uh, only half the time. So anyway, the uh, the 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 whole point of this is that if you're thinking about an energy that has a pressure, like it's pressing against something, how could that then draw an object toward the source of that pressure? I mean, that is very much counterintuitive. Uh, right. And the thing is, is that physicists have figured out ways of of getting around this so that what's really happening is the light is pushing on objects from behind and and thereby making the appearance that it's pulling that object towards the source. Right. So so really what's happening is that there's some sort of pressure building on the backside of an object in relation to where the source of light is. So that that pressure on the back is pushing it toward that light source. It's not truly pulling. Like it's not like if I grab Joe and then just started to pull him toward me. That that would be one thing. But this is more like I signal to you, Lauren. And I push Joe and towards you. By the way, this happens constantly in our <laughs> podcast. And I meant to bring that up earlier. Very violent. Suggest that we not do that. But really, I guess it's a discussion for another Come time. on, guys. The examples you're using are different in like 18 ways. I want to see the proof. <laughs> what does this really look like in the lab? What are they doing? All right. Well, f- there's a couple of different ways that scientists have looked into using light to uh, to pull objects. First of all, we should say that for a couple of decades now, scientists have been using light to immobilize tiny, tiny, tiny objects. Immobilize mm-hmm. and wiggle. Right. So they're they're Ooh. not they're, controlledly wiggle. Right. Wow. So so in this case you're using light. I'm impressed. Yeah, you're using light. It's not it's not drawing it toward the source of light. It's just there to uh either move something laterally or you're just immobilizing something. This is really important if you're dealing with really 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 tiny objects like in, in organic chemistry or any kind of biomedical uh research mm-hmm. you would need to be able to to uh uh isolate and and uh, and immobilize these tiny tiny particles. I imagine we're talking about like the micro scale, nano scale, is yeah. that it? Yeah, micro scale and nano scale is really what we're talking about. Now keep in mind that so a, a nanometer is one billionth of a meter, uh, a micrometer is one millionth. So we're talking uh, between the a few hundred nanometers to a couple of microns in size. Uh, now one of the ways that uh, scientists have used is relying on something called a Bessel beam, which is a very peculiar type of light. Yeah, a Bessel beam. Uh, if you see a Bessel beam shined against a wall, you would probably see something that looks like a target. It's like a bullseye with concentric circles coming mm-hmm. out. Um, but uh, and that, that's the way I've seen it in all the videos and images I've seen online. But the the essential thing about a Bessel beam is that it's non-refractive, right? So it stays focused over a really long distance. Right. And so, so if you're using a laser beam, we think of laser beams as being really, really uh, concentrated beams of light that don't tend to diffuse, but they do over great distances, whereas a Bessel mm-hmm. beam maintains that coherence. Yeah, and the other really weird and kind of interesting thing about a Bessel beam is that, uh, if I'm correct, I think it reforms after passing over an object, uh, right? Right, right. It's a series of concentric circles of light that are formed around a single dot, and that center point is created by the light from the concentric circles. So it can it can reform when some when it encounters something in its path because 
it's not entirely being covered. Did that I make see. any sense? So oh, some no, of the, so some of the, so yeah. I see. So some of the outer circle is getting around that object and therefore can reform that dot part on the backside of that object. Right. That's so, really cool. So it's not the same thing as if it were to encounter, say, an enormous wall. It's more like if it had an, uh, a smaller object that would normally block that little dot, but some of that concentric circle gets around. Some and of the outer bits reform. get around and right. can reform behind so, it. So the interesting thing awesome. here is that you've got a laser beam that for very tiny objects is uninterruptible. Like it, it'll just, it'll, if you were to interrupt that light, it reforms on the other side. It, it almost seems like magic when you think about it because it's like, uh, you, you've, you've blocked off that little dot from the source and yet it, it still reappears on the other side of the object. So if a beam of light can reform on the other side of an object, I wonder if there's a way to time it so that when the beam hits the object, it's at a low energy in its wavelength. And when it reforms on the back of the object, it's at a high energy. Well, gosh, Joe, it's almost like you read that script you wrote. Because, <laughs> in fact, that's exactly what scientists have managed to do. They've managed to... Is that how it works? Exactly, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, with, with with two of these Bessel beams. Right, when you, when two you, of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you, when, you, when you bend two of them together and kind of focus them correctly... Right, right. What happens is you you create a greater amount of pressure on the backside of this tiny, tiny object. Remember, we're talking about on the micro scale here. here. Uh, then you can create enough force to push it toward what is the source of that light. So uh, it's exactly what you said, Joe. You've got a lower amount of pressure on the front side and a greater amount on the backside, and that's what creates this movement. So this is one way that scientists have discovered where you can actually use light to move objects. Now, keep in mind, this is tiny, tiny scale. We'll get into scalability issues. I, I know, Joe, you're chomping at the bit to talk about that. <laughs> but uh, we have another unusual and exotic way of using light to manipulate objects. And in fact, it's this the second method is incredibly technical, and we're really just going to give an overview of it because to go into great detail would, one, require that we'd actually bring someone in who is... A, a particle physicist? A particle physicist, because yeah. that's or how complex you, you it gets. might say an optical physicist. Yeah, right? could sure. be. Right? You know, photons are particles. Uh, but, um, <laughs> uh, or we could... Uh, or, Can't wait for this fist fight later. Yeah. Geek fight. Um, or we can, uh, uh, you know, so we'd have to either bring in an expert or we would spend a lot of time gesticulating wildly in an audio podcast room, which does not translate so well in audio format. Um, it's yeah, it would be fine for us, but y'all listening might be a little bit right. Yeah, so well, we'll do our best here. Right, to so relate. let's let's talk sure. about this. So it's this is from uh, uh, some some researchers who are working out of both Scotland and the Czech Republic. It's kind mm -hmm. of a, a it's a it's a consortium of of scientists and engineers who are working on this. And and the, this was just first published in uh, on January twentieth, twenty thirteen. So this is really cutting edge. Yes, this is really really new and exciting stuff. But uh, it's also the closest thing to the sci-fi tractor beam that we've is. seen yet. It is. And what's being used, they're using a, a uh, Gaussian laser beam. A linearly polarized Gaussian, Gaussian laser, laser beam. beam. Yeah, polarization is referring to, uh, if you think about the movements of a photon, they tend to move, generally speaking, this is really simplifying, but they tend to move in two planes, a horizontal plane and a vertical plane. Polarized light, you can you can polarize light in such a way so that it all moves within a single plane. And then you can manipulate that plane so that you are working with a very specific type of light. We actually use this in uh, uh, practically in 3D applications. If you have passive 3D glasses, 
that are the polarized lenses, then those lenses are polarized in such a way to allow one type of light through the lens while blocking another type. This allows you to get two different uh, uh, types of light in, you know, one in each lens so that your brain then combines the images that you're receiving into a single image that gives you that illusion of depth, right? So it's, it's tricking your brain into thinking that there's depth there when really you're just looking at two different flat images. So, okay, but how do they use it so in to this, move a little ball? It's, it <laughs> all has to do with the geometry of the light. First of all, we should say what they are doing. They are moving tiny, tiny, tiny little balls. These are little, uh, little styrene spheres that are uh, suspended in fluid. And I think one thing that's interesting is a lot of these tests, they seem to be com- dependent on the conditions, right? So right. like we can move something this size in air or we can move something this size in a vacuum or and in this case they're talking about suspended in water right and and this would obviously be something that would be interesting again in biomedical uh uh applications where you're talking about lots of different fluids and particles that you might want to be able to move around. One of the cool things about this is depending upon the geometry of the light that they used, they could manipulate certain sized objects while leaving everything else alone. So you could be very specific and hone in on exactly the size of particle that you want to uh, to manipulate while ignoring all other particles. Wow, I bet that makes a lot of people in medical labs salivate. Yeah, because you're talking about sorting on an incredibly precise basis. It's yeah, very it's like exciting. A, it's like a laser right. sifter. <laughs> right, yeah. right. What was really exciting to me about this research is that they said that under certain conditions, um, objects held by the beam would automatically rearrange themselves to make the pole stronger. Whoa. Yeah, I don't even kinda, know what that means. That's but it's so crazy. cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, we're getting into Star Trek. Uh, territory here with reversing the polarity. Oh, you're, you're like brainwashing the balls. <laughs> you're like, you're like I'm going to just them leave to... that alone. So, well, uh, the, the so... polystyrene spheres, you're brainwashing them to, yeah. do, your bidding. to do your bidding. Okay. Yes. All right. So these spheres tended to be, for the for this particular uh, research project, were between about 410 nanometers to 1,000 nanometers or uh, one micron in size. And, uh, 1,000 nanometers. That's huge. <laughs> I, to an atom, yes. Yeah. To us, it is incredibly tiny. Uh, it's pretty big for being pulled by light, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. For being so, pushed yeah. around by photons. That's not bad at all. Yeah, I can actually, uh, quote a little bit of this. Uh, so here, here's an example of how complex this gets, right? To the point where we would need to have a specialist in here to really explain in layman's terms what's going on. <clears throat> here we go. The optical force originating from the Gaussian intensity profile, normal distribution, along the z-axis attracts the particles toward the center and so acts against both the pulling or the pushing forces, as it was explained in figures 2a, b, c of the main text. Therefore, if the beam is switched on or its polarization is changed, the pulling or pushing forces propel the particles to their new equilibrium positions established in the Gaussian beams. To develop an appropriate theoretical description of the geometry, we need to take into account not only the Gaussian beam intensity profile, dragging particles to the beam center, but also the influence of the scattered field reflected on the mirror back toward the particle. This means that they were using a mirror to um, to help create interference within this Gaussian beam, and, and Gaussian mm-hmm. beams, we should say, are uh, are beams that are stronger in the center than they are at the at the outsides. Mm-hmm. So again, it's similar to that Bessel beam approach, where they were using two Bessel beams in order to interfere with one another and create that pressure. But in this case, you're using a beam to interfere with itself. Yeah, one uh, beam in a mirror. Yeah, and the other thing that's interesting that. Uh, 
you, you might not have caught from that passage you read, but they can change how the beam interacts with the particles by messing with the polarity. Right. Right. So right. If, you, if you tweak the polarity of the beam, you could say push instead of pull. Right. Yeah. So it gives you a lot of different uh, options for manipulating these these uh, microscopic or smaller objects. Now, it's you know, th- this le- lends itself to lots of different applications uh, and that we're just starting to kind of consider right now because we're still in the very much the early, early stages of developing this technology. But you could hypothetically sort um, different kinds of particulates out of something that you didn't want in there. You could use it to sort um, uh, diseased cells versus healthy cells right. or, or oh. bacteria versus healthy cells. Right. Yeah. If the stuff you wanted to take out of a solution, whether it was within a person or in a, uh, you know, some some sort of chemical, whatever, um, as long as that stuff was of a very specific size that was different from all the stuff you wanted to leave in, this would be a great way of doing it because you would know automatically that your uh, methodology was not going to pick up anything you didn't want. It was just going to concentrate on the stuff you wanted to remove. Because, again, that geometry only allows this light to interact with particles of a specific size and it ignores everything else as far as the the pulling is concerned. You know, there's another good tangent on w- what these types of lasers can do in uh, in Tiny Town. Uh, they said uh, the Bessel beam, so the one from the first study we talked about. Right. Uh, they said those are really cool for uh, what's called optical injection. Uh, so you what know? is that? Well, that's where you use a laser to stab a hole right in a cell, and uh, that allows things that you're trying to put in the cell to flood in. Gotcha. So if you want without to... without necessarily killing the cell. Right. So so if you're doing some medical research and you really needed to be able to. Uh, manipulate cells on an individual basis and see what a particular type of medication perhaps might Mm do. Or if you just need to study the cell and you need to insert some form of uh, chemical so so it will show up on whatever imaging uh, technique you're using, then these could be very useful techniques. Totally. Um, It's kind of interesting stuff. So, uh, so Joe, Mm -hmm. let's uh, let's talk a little bit about scaling this up. So we figured out that we can use light to pull stuff what we want toward us. Uh-huh. What if the stuff what we want is really big? Like, um, let's say it's not even that big. Let's say it's, um, I don't know, the size of a soccer ball or a football to our friends in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, or yeah, okay, or, or sized like a podcast host or something like that. Don't bring me into this. I don't want to get burned up by your laser. Yeah, part <laughs> of the problem is... Uh, so immediately, of course, when this study came out, everybody is like, oh, yes, we've got tractor beams. It is we on can, now. Yeah, we can yeah. reel in ships. We can, you we know. Can, we can. We don't have to worry about asteroids attacking oh, the Earth yeah. because we can just use the tractor beam to reposition it. Who needs a tether for spacewalking anymore, right? right. You know, you go outside for a stroll outside the, uh, <laughs> outside floating the out. Interna- International Space Station. You yep. just take a walk. You get lost. Oh, shh. Yep. And you're back home. And it makes that noise, too, even in the reaches of space. Nope. Part of the problem is that um, these beams require a lot of energy. Yeah. And if you were to scale them up so that they were powerful enough 
to move heavier objects, they'd be delivering more and more energy as you did that. Right. Which, of course, when it strikes the object, would turn into heat. So you're essentially developing a thermal weapon as opposed to a tractor beam. Yeah, it'd be like, well, it'd be more like a blaster if we want to stick with Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Or a phaser uh, if we're talking Star Trek. Or, uh, hey, how about like a a Death Star planet killer weapon? Okay, so something like that. So instead of of moving the asteroid, you've just delivered a huge amount of thermal energy snow it's a really hot rock that's yeah. heading toward her uh, maybe maybe they fa- were really just trying to move alderaan somewhere maybe they didn't <laughs> want to destroy it i'm pretty sure Grand Moff tarkin was pretty clear on his <laughs> intentions and i don't even know see based on the scientists that i read i don't n- even know if it's technically possible to pull things at, right. at a huge scale sure, sure uh but i know that this this heating up objection exists right, so right. you so definitely you'd... destroy it in the process of pulling it even if you could pull it so if you were if you were a space station trying to pull a, a shuttle into dock, then you would suddenly have this molten slag coming toward your, yeah. your space station <laughs> as opposed to, you know, that would be the best case scenario. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. So that that's why even with this amazing breakthrough and we don't mean to, to diminish it at all. It is phenomenal and really exciting stuff. Yeah, uh, it's it does not mean that we are going to arrive at some sort of science fiction future where we are going to have these tractor beams in regular use. Uh, either here on Earth or in space on the macro scale. One thing that I think is really interesting is it's come up multiple times now in this podcast is the place where they're really thinking the tractor beam is going to be useful is the small scale. Yeah. Over and over. Inner space. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have even imagined that. Yeah. It's it's super awesome and interesting. It's just not the way that science fiction authors had envisioned it when they were first. And really, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that science fiction authors create tend to be like placeholders. This idea of there's this one problem that you would face if you were out in space. How do we get around that? What, what kind of what kind of technology can we invent? So everything from artificial gravity to inertial dampeners to warp drive, things that help you get around what would otherwise be huge problems when you get into uh, science fiction-y space exploration type situations. Uh, you know, you have to invent these these somewhat magical devices that would counteract fundamental issues that you would run into otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, tractor beams are just one example of that. But, but those those fundamental physics are you know, still existent on the small scale and are what we are much more capable of uh, of working with here on Earth. Yeah, yeah. And and there's no, there's no reason to say that tractor beams themselves will always be impossible on a macro scale. They just won't be oh, using no. lasers necessarily. We might be using something else. But before we you know, dive into that. I think we should save that for a completely separate discussion. We're going to talk about the science fiction of tractor beams, how they've been used, and also some potential, you know, science fiction-y kind of ways we might be able to attain that in the future, assuming that the math proves true and that some theoretical or rather <laughs> hypothetical particles actually exist. But that's that's something we'll save for next time. So, uh, guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes of Forward Thinking, please get in touch with us. Let us know what you think. Tell us what you think about the podcast. Tell us what you want uh, us to cover in the future. Tell us what has you excited. You can get in touch with us via email. Our address is fwthinking at discovery.com. Or go to fwthinking.com. That's where we've got the blogs, the podcasts. We've got videos. We've got links to all of our social media. Join our conversation. Be part of the family. We are excited to hear from you, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com.
Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Open a limited time 11 month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus, it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander, or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified, diversified? Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly. How much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.comslash Beyond Zero. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, Tanner Girl Girl Shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.